Wow. Welcome to episode two of Part for Women brought to you by Impact Africa Network. This is where we have conversations with global female business leaders and change makers so they can share their story with the intent of inspiring a new generation of female leaders in Africa. And thank you for joining us last time. And this time we have an exciting guest for you as well. And let me tell you more about Impact Africa. We remind you who we, who we are. We are a nonprofit startup studio here in Nairobi on a mission to ensure that young, talented Africans participate in the digital transformation of Africa. And how do we do this? We do this by providing 12-month innovation fellowships to recent college graduates where they work on well-vetted ideas under the guidance of a leadership team and mentor network. And the goal is that we want to develop, develop innovation leaders and launch startups at the same time. So if you may allow me, I want to introduce my co-host, who is also my colleague, Joy, to the, to the broadcast. Joy, you're welcome. While at the same time, introduce or let's bring our guest, who's all the way from Australia, Dr. Katriona. Thank you, Phyllis. I think I'm going to take this time to introduce myself and also introduce our guest for today. My name is Joy Dinda. I work with Phyllis in the fundraising department in this movement called Impact African Network. I am going to introduce our guest for today, Dr. Katriona Wallace. Um, our guest wears many hats and it's just my pleasure to introduce her. Um, she's the founder and CEO of Ethical AI Advisory, uh, an adjunct professor at the Australian Graduate School of Management. And not only that, uh, she's the founder of an artificial intelligence fintech startup known as Flamingo AI, and the second woman ever run a company listed on the Australian Exchange. Uh, she has many awards and recognitions, but most importantly, she has the Advance Award, which is the highest award in technology and innovation for Australians working abroad. So as a leading authority on artificial intelligence and a mother of five, Kationa is just the living proof that women can have it all. So welcome, Dr. Kationa. Thank you so much for making time. It's such a pleasure. I'm just delighted to be here. Great to join you, Phyllis, and Joy. We're happy to have all you, right. Dr. Kationa. Maybe you want to tell us more about yourself, from, apart from what Joy has said, then before we get right into it. Yeah, well, so there's probably a couple of streams that um, I would, the way I would describe myself. So um, I have the, the business and the entrepreneurial stream. So I, I would regard myself as, as a serial entrepreneur, having built numerous companies. But the one that I'm most proud of is the artificial intelligence company, which is a machine learning company. We built our own type of machine learning called semi-supervised machine learning. We had that patented in the US and in Australia, and we now run and sell that product to very large global financial services companies in, in the US and, and Australia. And I, you know, as we talk more, I can tell you how I managed to manage the five children and build an international uh, business, because I know that's something always interesting for women to learn about. And uh, and then I have an academic stream as well. So I, I do have a PhD and my um, area of study will be interesting to you both and hopefully to the other leaders on, on the broadcast with us today. So my study was the role that technology plays in replacing human leaders. So I'm very interested in the role of robots, 
human plus machine and how we together as humans and robots can create a better future. So they'd be a couple of other um, little interesting things in my background. Wow, uh, I think you've come such a long way. I think we will start from the beginning. Um, did you always know you were going to end up in AI or how, you know, how did it start? What did you want to <laughs> right. be when so, you were growing up? A farmer. I only ever wanted to be a farmer. That's the only thing that I was keen on doing. I love animals and I love nature and we have a family farm. So I always thought I was going to be a farmer. So I went to university, Sydney University, and studied, studied, started to study agriculture and then realised that all the other ag students were becoming investment bankers and not becoming farmers. So I decided to drop out. So I left after two years at uni and then decided I would rebel against my parents probably and join the police force. So then I was a I was a police officer for four years. And then after that I started a consulting business and and ran a nightclub, owned a nightclub. So it's been no straight path for me. As I find most good entrepreneurs, right? We've all had kind of a zigzaggy career to get to where we finally are. That is interesting. I'm just uh, thinking to myself, you know, somebody who wanted to be a farmer and now is in AI, you know, that is, you know, such a big move. Uh, so congratulations on that. And I hope people will also, you know, learn how to follow their interests and their passions. Um, so tell me more about your career trajectory and, the, and you know, the challenges you've had and the wins as well, especially, you know, as a woman. Yeah. So, so the path for me after doing the PhD, what I decided was I would set up a research company. So I, I co-founded a market research company and it was at that stage that I felt that I was very capable of, of building businesses myself um, or, or along with the business partner. So I built a market research company and then a human-centered design, customer experience consultancy. And then after that, it really occurred to me that if I, those were both professional services businesses. So I had to spend a lot of time hiring people and training people and it was very human-centric. And I knew because of my PhD interested in technology that technology was coming and the technology and human interaction was, was going to be upon us. So I then decided I would look to invent something new. And I didn't know what, but that's what took me to start the, the artificial intelligence uh, company, Flamingo. And so what I actually did, though, before I built the Flamingo business, I took $50,000 out of my mortgage and I built something that I thought would be really useful. I built uh, or had a developer build a, a website that was where customers could come and businesses could come and they could have an exchange or do trade based on ex customer experience rather than based on product or price. Thought this is a brilliant idea, um, built it, went around to all the corporates to say, hey, do you like this idea? Everyone said, this is fantastic. I thought, wow, this startup journey is so easy. I don't know why everyone said it was hard. And I said, great, well, you know, you can sign up to be one of the businesses and we'll get all the customers. How much would you like to pay to be on board on, on this platform? And the corporate said to me, oh, we think it's a brilliant idea, but we're not going to pay you anything. And I said, 
what do you mean? You said it's a brilliant idea. And they said, yeah, it is a brilliant idea, but we are not going to pay for it. And that was my first lesson as in we, the entrepreneurs, we can have great ideas that can fill a gap, but if nobody is going to pay for it, then it's not an, an innovation. It's not going to be successful. So I had to go back, throw that in the bin and lose that money and then start again. And this time I'd learned by talking to the corporates that they were interested in having something that helped their customer experience as software as a service, their own product, rather than um, being involved in a marketplace. And that's what started me on the journey to build um, Flamingo. So the way I did that was uh, I did I raised a little bit of money. I just went around to friends and family and just literally spoke to my uncle, spoke to my best friend, spoke to every person I knew who who possibly had any money and said, I need to raise $200,000. Can you give me some money and I'll give you a piece of equity of the company? So I raised um, $200,000. And, and that, this is another, the second lesson, right? The first lesson there was if someone's not going to pay for it, don't do it. Second lesson is you don't need to necessarily go to VCs or angel investors to start a business. You can actually just you know, hit up your friends, hit up your family to get enough money to at least build a prototype of your business, which is what I did. Within six months in Australia, um, I realised that the, this was five years ago, the Australian investment community just wasn't investing and particularly was not investing in women-led businesses. So uh, less than 2% of all capital in the world goes to women-led businesses. So I realised, okay, it's going to be tough to do it in Australia. So I, I'll need to, I want to go to America. So I went to my board and I said, all right, I, I want to go and build the business in America. Will you give me $10,000? And if I can't do it in $10,000, uh, then it, it won't happen. And they said, yep, you can have that money and off you go to the US and, um, and do it. Now, it just happened that the only time I could go was also the time of school holidays. And as uh, Joy mentioned, I have five children, so two stepsons and then three um, biological children. And the two youngest ones were probably maybe nine and 11. And so I had to take the children with me. So I put them in the plane with me. I took them over and then I was pitching to these large American corporates with my two kids sitting in the background. And all I did was go, Look, um, here, uh, here is me. I'm, I'm um, uh, Dr. Wallace, and I'll be presenting the Flamingo business, uh, and, and I'll talk in a little minute about why we named the business Flamingo. Um, and these are my two children. If you're wondering who's in the background, and what was very, very beautiful was that every time I had the children in the meetings, and my children have attended lots of meetings, even with venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. Everyone just relaxed a bit and and were interested in the kids and interested that they were there. Nobody at all said, oh, this is unprofessional or you shouldn't have these children here. It was really a, a very um, great experience and, and a great experience for the kids as well. So those, those children have been in all sorts of um, meetings with me. And then I managed to set the business up in the US. And then for the next four years, I spent two weeks in Australia two weeks in the US, two weeks in Australia, two weeks in the US, and built the business uh, in both countries uh, that way. So let me just jump in and, and tell you why we named the business Flamingo. 
So when we had first um, developed the artificial intelligence and we, what we developed was a software robot that guided customers through their journey with a, with a corporate, so maybe a, a sales journey uh, as someone's trying to buy, say, an insurance product. And when the um, customer was finished, we, we created a, a personalised experience profile, P, big E, P. And so my engineers used to go, oh, there's a peep. Someone's peeping. There's a peep coming through. And then one of my clever people said, oh, what creature makes or what animal makes the noise of a peep? And we looked it up and went, oh, it's the official language of a flamingo. And then when uh, we looked at it, we said, what's, you know, what's a a group of flamingos called, oh, it's called a flamboyant. And we went, okay, that's beautiful, given that it's a woman, woman-led company, let, let's name it that. And then we looked at more and flamingo is about fire, so it's about flame and passion. And then flamingos themselves are very loyal and social and really look after the young, they're, they're beautiful creatures. So we, we use the name flamingo, but just as a project name. And then I went out and, and paid a lot of money to a brand specialist to, to get us a grown-up sort of, tech company name and then we we got uh, 600 names down to 100 down to 30 down to 10 and then I crowdsourced the 10 names of the you know the proper grown-up names and then I put flamingo on the bottom and when we went out we came overwhelmingly everyone came back and said yeah just call it flamingo where everyone loves flamingos so so that's the the secret of that but but just back to draw your point about what was challenge uh challenges so the challenges was definitely being uh, a woman and a mother and, and wanting to raise a family and have relationships plus build an international business. So one of the things that I encourage the women um, with us today and the men with us today who are supporting the women is think boldly. You don't, because you're a mum or a woman or you want to be a mum, you don't have to think, oh, I just have to do this in my town or my country. You, you absolutely don't need to. But what you do need to do is think unconventionally about how you parent. So if I was away for more than 10 days, I would take the two youngest children with me. The school wasn't particularly happy with that, but that was my choice. And I believe that they would learn a great deal traveling with me, uh, being exposed to different countries and, and learning about business possibly they'd learn more than they would at school. Anyway, so, so this unconventional parenting and unconventional relationships, if you can think a bit differently, then that helps you be able to really have meet both goals that you might want to have a family and build a business. But Joy, just before um, I finish on that, what the challenges were, I, I want to tell you just one, one story. Uh, so when we had um, listed on this Australian Stock Exchange. So I built the business in America and then brought it back and then listed it, listed the company on the Australian Stock Exchange. So I had a female chair at the time and we were the, the second only woman-led business ever to list on the Australian Stock Exchange, which I think is just terrible, right? I just don't, that's just so sad that that's the case. Um, but anyway, we, we were proud that we did it. And soon after we listed, we went and did a capital raise. So we were seeking investment into the company. And We'd got been down to Melbourne. We spoke to a group of investors. And then as we were flying back, we were in the, in the airport lounge and, and one of the investors rang to say, yeah, we want to put a million dollars into Flamingo. And we said, amazing, that's great. 
Um, you know, we'd love to take it. And then we said, and they said, oh, there is a condition. And so I said, uh, okay, you know, what's the condition? Anyway, the condition was this investment company would put a million dollars into the business if the female CEO would take her nose ring out. So there was a million dollars if the female CEO would take her nose ring out. So it was a much smaller nose ring than the one I've got now. The next day I went and got a, like quite a big one. But I just said, wow, like would they have asked a man to do that? Would they, if a man had a tattoo, would they ask? You know, I'm not sure. So most definitely I had had real challenges with regard to being treated equally as if a, if a male was doing the same job and pitching for investment, I, I think it would have been a different story. Wow, that's that's quite the challenge. Your nose ring was worth a million dollars. Very interesting. <laughs> so there's one important thing I, I picked from, from your challenges, and I really hope the people working on business ideas and especially the fellows in our innovation studio who are hoping to launch startups picked it up. And it is, if someone is not going to pay for it, please don't do it. So yeah. I, I hope, <laughs> I hope they, 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 you know, they take note of that. Um, something else interesting about Impact Africa Network and our fellowship program is that we, we, we create mentorship for these fellows, people like you, other founders, other people who have done it uh, before come in and mentor these young fellows as they work on this project and startups. So my question to you is, did you have mentors when, you know, when you were going through this journey with the kids in the background? How did that go? Did you have people? I, I didn't have a mentor as such, but what I did have is a female chair, a chairperson. Um, and so that made all the difference because she understood she had children my age and she was also a successful business person. So for me, it was having another woman on the team who could support me and with the other directors could help to normalise this and, and have it be okay. So, so even if it's not a mentor, which I would have loved to have had, I just didn't have at that time, I definitely had strong women who could support me who I could run these ideas by because you know one of the greatest challenges we have as women is you know how are we going to be in family and in, in business and in order to do that I think it's super important to have networks like this and and other women who have been there and, and done it before to help you know that your children are probably not going to run off the track and end up in jail because you're an entrepreneur. They, they, they're really probably not going to do that. I think I'm just gonna go right ahead and ask before my colleague uh, takes the day. Um, do you think uh, coming with, you know, coming far along in this journey that being a woman impacts your leadership style? Yes, 100%. So we are different as women. We, we just are. We, we're not men. We don't necessarily have the same way of looking at things thinking about things or talking about things and we just have to accept that and so I think it's a great 
error for us to think that we should emulate the behaviours of, of men in business. And I think what is very interesting, particularly in my field where we see technology and robots starting to come into the workplace, the skills that businesses will be looking for are those that are associated with the feminine archetype. So these are things like collaboration, empathy, uh, compassion, uh, the ability to do you know, multitask, to do many things at once, the ability to mobilise different groups of people towards a certain outcome or a vision. These skills that are associated with women typically will be the ones that organisations seek out. So I think we're coming into a good period where women will be more highly valued for their leadership style than we have seen previously. Wow, I'll pick up from what you've said. That's actually a very profound thing that in the day and age you're living in where everything is going tech, uh, uh, AI, the skills that are associated with women will be most needed. This is actually a thesis that we've carried, not just, not, not just us, but also the CEO. When he came back to start Impact Africa Network, he always had this belief that women are the ones who would grow the organizations or the companies that would build. And it was so amazing because, uh, so let me go back to help you understand what we do. So we work on, we work on projects with the, with the intent of spinning them out as early stage startups. So at, this, at the stage where they leave the studio, we, that's where we believe that women will come in and will be able to grow them, to nurture them so that they're, they're able to experience an exponential growth and employ more people. And so at the stage where we are at right now, this year we were able to launch our first startup out of the studio, which is very interesting because it's actually a data science and AI school. Uh, yeah. So it was our first, that's why it's very interesting to have you. And I'm going to introduce the female leader, the one who came in to run the, the school, uh, the operations manager, her name is Esther Mumbi. She'll be joining us on this cast today. And it was very interesting because it happened without us noticing. It was an article that Mark, Mark is the CEO, had written and he used to say women would come in and then when Esther came in, we didn't even, I don't, it happens in your subconscious. So later on is when you notice, oh, we actually have a woman running this thing. And so Esther is with us here. And since June, July, when she came, they have really made strides with her leadership, being a, being a woman. So Esther can introduce herself. She can tell you more about the startup called Jenga School. And she can ask her questions. Carry with Esther. Thank you so much, Phyllis, for the warm introduction. It's a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Katriona. Uh, my name is Esther Mumbi. I'm the operations manager at Jenga School. And I'll give you a brief background about Jenga School. So Jenga School was, is the first startup out of Impact Africa Network. And we launched this year in June. And Jenga School is a high quality professional institution fo focused on providing a rigorous program in data science and AI. And I'm proud to say that we have two cohorts running now. And we hope to create more awareness in the, in the data science and AI space because we believe that there's so much opportunity in the, in the, in locally, both locally and globally. So having said that, my first question to you would be, how is it being a female business leader in artificial intelligence and data science? Well, look, Esther, congratulations on um, your success so far, and I'd be very keen to stay in touch and, and follow your progress with the Jenga School. Sounds fantastic. Look, we know in the world at the moment, in the artificial intelligence field, there is one in 10 jobs are held by women and nine in 10 are held 
by men. And then when we get up to the leadership level, it's, it's, a, it's a fraction of that. So I am pretty much the only woman when we go to events and and the like who is actually a CEO or, or the founder. There's, there's very few of us. And I think that is changing and we're definitely seeing more women coming through now and more women confident to start technology companies and lead technology companies. And I really fundamentally believe my role as a woman who's been one of the early early women to do this is that I have a, an obligation to clear those paths, help break down the biases and to provide opportunity for the women coming through. So that that's a really big uh, uh, purpose of mine because it is tough. It, you know, I've had some really difficult times with investors, um, not so much with clients. Uh, I had another another investor investment group who, um, when my chair, female chair, and I walked in to the room to do the presentation, there were all men sitting down and said, um, "Oh, sorry, ladies, we think you're in the wrong room." And we said, "Oh, what do you mean the wrong room?" Um, and they said, "Oh, you're in the wrong room. We're waiting for the the tech CEO and the tech." Um, chair to arrive I went oh yeah that's us <laughs> and and you know they were just they were just um, flabbergasted so it, it's still difficult and I still think but instead of me getting annoyed about it or upset about it what I do now is I have great compassion for the men in in industry and particularly those who who are the good men as I call them who, who want to support women so I, I have this um talk that I do, which is, you know, women of power and the good men and and talk about the characteristics because what I think is absolutely important, um, Esther, in, in answering your question, is women have a long time been associated with being women of influence. And so, so I think, Joy, in my introduction, you saw that I was Australia's most influential women woman in business and entrepreneurship. And, and at the time I went, oh, you know, that's, that's really nice. And I went, hang on a minute, what are the men's awards? So the men's awards, so we've got the Women of Influence Awards and the Men of Power Awards. And so I went, and the men are powerful. And I looked at the definitions there and to be influential means you can indirectly affect change. And to be powerful or to have power is you can directly affect change. And so what I realise is for too long we women have either been okay with just being people of influence and influencing outcomes and we haven't truly stepped into being powerful and in our own power. And, and I love that your hashtag is power to our women because I'm all about women being comfortable in, in their power. But that's not necessarily comfortable for some, not all men, who are used to actually having the power. So what we need to do as women is have compassion and bring men on the journey to understand how we do leadership and how they can support us. And so, you know, at another time I'm, I'm very happy to share um, my thoughts on the good men and what the good men need to do. And, and definitely today, um, Esther, Joy and Phyllis, I'd love to share kind of 10 key points that I think women as they step into power should take note of, but we can do that sometime in this conversation today. We actually have a question in regards to that, but I can allow Esther to continue. We'll touch, we'll touch on it before the end of the live guest. Yeah, so from your answer, I see that there's 
there is so much that women can do in the space. And my other question would be, what changes have you seen in terms of the demand for AI and data science as compared to when you started? Yeah, so, so with regard to the changes in AI, machine learning and, and data scientists, uh, science, when we started, so five years ago, you couldn't um, just easily get open source AI or just use Google or use Amazon bot frame. Those things didn't exist. So we actually had to invent our own, which we did. So I had maybe five or six PhDs who were working on building our own machine learning product. Uh, so that's really different now. So you can actually spin up a, a artificial intelligence application or even a business very quickly now by using things that are open source or freely available. Now, quick example of this. So I do a lot of keynote speaking. I'm an I'm adjunct professor at a university. And a couple of months ago, I said, look, I do this talk on ethical AI, which is, which is my passionate subject, right? And I do the same talk over and over again. Why would I do the talk if I could build a robot that could do the talk instead of me? So anyway, I said about, got one of my engineers and I said, okay, well, let's build a robot that we call Trinity and let's get Trinity to give my speeches. And in that way, you know, substitute for a lecturer or, or, or a speaker. And so we went around um, and built this fabulous robot and literally the software almost cost nothing. So I almost built it for nothing. I probably paid... $10,000 altogether, and that was for the developers and for the UI and, and the brand and everything, but almost nothing for the software. So, and, and we built this magnificent um, robot for $10,000. So once upon a time, that would be probably hundreds of thousands of dollars, but, but now it's next to free. So what I, I, I love to encourage is that anyone thinking about startup not to be daunted by artificial intelligence. And, and Esther, you're in a great role here to help people know that it, it is actually quite a simple concept and it is actually quite simple to get software that you can then um, build into your products or build into a business. Great if you have some data scientists and engineers around you, but you as the leader don't necessarily need to be an engineer. I'm not an engineer but yet I can build businesses with AI. So I think that's been the fundamental change. And then the growth in AI. So AI is the fastest growing tech sector in the world. There was 38 billion US dollars spent on it last year. Uh, over the, During COVID, we've also seen a 20% increase in investment into AI as a result of COVID, that's globally. And we expect AI to continue to growing at the, grow at this accelerated rate so i think they're probably the key changes okay great you've also mentioned that you're passionate about ethical ai and i had a question around that i wanted to know and there are so many issues around ethical there are so many ethical issues around data science and ai and i wanted to know what would you say are the top ethical issues what would you say are the maybe top two ethical issues you've come across in your field as an ethical AI advisory advisor? Yeah, such a such an important question. So if we think about what artificial intelligence is, it, I think it's sort of four components. One is the data, two is the algorithms, three is the analytics or decision making, and four is the automation. Now, where we see huge challenges 
is with the data and bias in the data that's been used to train the algorithms. So a great example of this is within the last six months, um, Apple released their Apple Card, which was an, an automated uh, credit facility that Apple did in partnership with Goldman Sachs. And so they had taken a data set, a historical data set, trained the algorithm, and then uh, went out to market, went out broadly and said, um, tell us your financial history and we will give you um, credit on this Apple Card. And what happened is they went out and husband and wives um, with exactly the same financial records provided their records and on average the men were given 10 times the credit limit that the women were. And, and even Steve Wozniak, who is the co-founder of Apple, did it with his wife, and he was given something like 20 times the credit limit that his wife was. And that's because the algorithms were trained on historical data, which either excluded or downplayed women and their, their as, as, a, as a good good creditors. And so we see this repeated time and time again. Um, uh, racial bias. So we saw uh, in the last month that Twitter and Zoom were criticised because the virtual backgrounds weren't picking up um, people of colour. They were trained on, you know, white people's faces. So when the Zoom did a virtual background, it would often um, go across anybody who had um, skin of colour. And so these are terrible examples by the largest, most powerful companies in the world who can't get this ethical AI right. They can't remove the bias. So, and, and we don't see governments regulating AI. AI is largely unregulated. We don't see the tech giants taking a leadership role here. So what I absolutely encourage everyone on the broadcast today is to think about what role can you play in making sure tech is built responsibly and tech is built ethically and bias is removed from the data and removed from the code because remember these machines are going to be running our lives they're going to be making credit decisions they're going to be working out whether the police go to house a or house b they're going to be controlling our borders if they're not built with the removal of bias if they if they have bias in them things are going to go very badly so thank you for that, uh, Dr. Catriona. I like your insight on how we should uh, use, uh, we should uh, think about the bias that is used in, in AI and data science. So my last question to you would be, what would you say is required for exponential growth for startups like Jenga School? Yeah, well, one of the, the real uh, learnings I had, and mainly because I probably didn't do this well when I started out, so the real secret is pro what we call product market fit. And product market fit means you've analysed the market, you've found a gap, you've filled that gap with a solution that is unique, you understand your competitors and you know what you do differently to com your competitors, and that gap that you fill can be identified with a, what we call a use case. So there is a specific use case or a specific problem that you're, you're solving. So when any startups talk to me about their product, I say, okay, before you tell me about the features of your product, tell me what is the problem that you're solving. 
And if they can't articulate it or if the problem is too big, then it's going to be a challenge for them. They have to know here is initially the narrow problem that I'm solving. This is how we solve it. And here is the commercial value. And commercial value is normally here's the money we save, here's the money we help our clients make, or here is some other tangible benefit. So one of the real challenges with AI has been that everyone wants to trial it and play with it and go through innovation pilots just to see how it works and to learn, but they, they don't have like a solid problem that they're solving. So I believe all startups, uh, including uh, Jenga School, really, really focus on this is the problem we solve. And, and even when you talk about your business, before you start talking about your product, just start with the problem we solve is, is this, and this is how we do it. And then um, the challenge, once you've done that, and you get customers, as we said before, paying for your product, it's around how do you then scale? And that becomes the second most difficult part once you've got through the early stage of, of just getting your product into product market fit. And scaling AI companies is actually challenging. And why is that? I'm curious to know why is that? Why, why would you say it's challenging? Yeah, it, it's challenging because it's actually quite complex. So the, as Esther would know, it, the algorithms, the data that's required uh, is actually quite complex. So whereas other software that can you know, solve a simple problem uh, can then quite easily be, you know, be scaled depending on the complexity of the software itself, but AI is, is, is challenging. And so what we see is there's mainly the big tech giants who provide AI, then the smaller companies as they come through tend to be acquired, and we've just had the Flamingo business acquired, tend to be acquired before they get to really great scale because it's really hard to do that on your own. Now, it's not saying that all companies cannot do that, but it's particularly difficult. And then it's particularly difficult because the big tech giants are out there pretty much giving their software software away for free. Um, so that also is, is challenging for we younger companies to really um, scale our, our products. So one of the ways that you can do is through partnership relationships and, and partnership relationships either go really well or really badly. So I've burnt so much time and money trying to partner with the big tech giants um, that it, but, but other companies have been very successful and their partnership relationships have been the reason that they're successful. So it, it's never an easy path, slightly more complex, Esther, I think, for AI, also because it's new, right? It, not everyone understands it. Great. Um, yeah, I don't know if Esther has any other question. No, no, I, um, I'm good now. <laughs> Thank you so much, yeah. Dr. Chana. Yeah, I think I'll pick up from what you've been saying about uh, knowing what the problem you're solving before you go to market. So that's actually very key to what we do within Impact Africa Network. We actually follow something called Disciplined Entrepreneurship, which is a book that was written by someone, you probably know him, Bill Oled. And we actually talk about it, it, the process that our fellows follow involves a lot of market research to identify whether this is a right fit, whether anyone would, would pay for it. So by the time we are launching, by the time we are working on we are launching something we've actually done our research which is a really good point to bring out and i know you wanted to 
I know you wanted to talk about 10 things and this at this point I'll allow you to uh, because the question that we had was actually what advice would you give uh, a female leader or a female a female person stepping into a leadership role or a power role and this is this is your chance to take it away on that one that's beautiful okay I'll give my 10 tips and this is from my own experience doing a lot of research in the area and, and talking to many women over the years so the first one relates to that concept I said before about don't just look for roles of influence, look for roles of power. So take the role as the chairperson. Don't just take a board role. Take the role of CEO. Don't, don't just take the role of chief operations officer. Look for those roles that can actually mean that you can directly affect change. Second one is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So being a woman leader, particularly in technology and in startup, it's still difficult. And mostly we, we are uncomfortable. We're either just a bit stretched or it's not quite going well. So every day I think if, you, if you're feeling uncomfortable, that, that's the status quo. That's how you should be. Don't worry if every day you go, wow, I'm still like not feeling comfortable and relaxed. You shouldn't be. Um, third one I've already talked about and love to emphasise again, be unconventional in your relationships and with your children. Take your children with you. Uh, tell your partner that this is your goal and this is what you want to do and you want their support. So think unconventionally. Then conquer your fears and particularly if your fears are around failure or success or even with dealing with, with men. I know that I used to be very challenged with dealing with authoritarian men and that I would always um, what we call acquiesce. So acquiesce means to kind of just be passive and I had to learn that that was not, not the best way. And so I then did a lot of personal work to actually come to terms with not being fearful of, of authoritarian or, or strong men. Um, the fifth one is look for where the women are. So if there are women working in a particular company or doing something, it probably means that environment is good and supportive of women. And women love women, right? So we will always or should always look after other women. So, so look for where the other women are. Always insist on equal pay. So if you're going for a job or you're negotiating with your investors what you're going to be paid, make sure it's equivalent to that of the men. Do not take anything less. There is absolutely no reason why you should. On average, I think globally, women have 17, 17% less pay than men, we have to stop that. We do an equal job and we should have equal pay. Be bold and take on risk. As I said before, Don't. there's nothing particularly special about me. I was able to build a global business, set up a business in the US. Um, if I can do it, you can do it as well. Um, here's a good one. Apply for jobs that you don't have the skill set for yet. So this is another typical thing that we always say about the difference between men and women, that men will often overestimate themselves and go for jobs they don't have the skills for, and women will uh, underestimate themselves. So we need to change that as well. So let's start applying for jobs that we don't yet have the skill set for and stretching ourselves because likely we're very capable and able to do it. Um, seek out the good men. So that's, look for those men who will support you, who will promote you, who will sponsor you, who will help generate opportunities for you. 
and will hold the space if you need to talk or need to do something professional. They'll be there to hold the space so that you can do that. So seek out the good men as your allies. And then the final one, number 10, is whatever you do and if you ever get an opportunity, I always say, you know, take a sister with you. So, you know, don't, let's not just do this on our own as women. If there's an opportunity, take a sister along with you. If there's an event you're going to, take a woman along with you. If there's a, a, a job that you're going for and there's other jobs available, introduce another woman to you. So let's just keep the sisters working together on this. Nice. Uh, I like that. I like really, I really like some of the points you've brought out. Seek out the good men. That's a very important point, to be honest. Uh, so I can see we're 15, almost 50 minutes in. I'm not sure if Joy has any other question. Uh, maybe I could just go with a, with a very final one. Um, Dr. Kationa, I think you've, you've led, you know, such a powerful, uh, such a powerful journey. And I would just like you to challenge the, the women leaders behind you, which is us, uh, the women younger than us, uh, and the fellows of Impact Africa Network who are being trained to take on leadership positions. What is your challenge for them or for the next female leader? Yeah, so one of the things I really like, like to encourage is that we actually need the world needs women leaders and it's not it's not just a cliche i mean you can see this the state of politics across the world and we can see that you know the, the countries that did really well during covid like finland and new zealand had had women prime ministers we actually need women and we really need women in tech as well now we've already talked with esther about how are we going to live in a world where bias is coded into the machines that run our world that's not okay and we're really facing that now we're facing a future that if we with only one in ten women in tech how are we going to build systems that are fair and reasonable and give everyone an, an equal chance and opportunity so it's absolutely essential that we get women into these roles into leadership roles so not even just for yourself but for and not even just for other women, but for the well-being of, of the world, we, we really need to do that. And we need to do that and then develop this ethical approach to leadership once we are there and start doing things and building things that women do well around being responsible and ethical and, and building things that are actually purpose-driven as well as for for profit or, or commercial so women we need you we absolutely need you and as i said my role will be to continue to go on into the higher leadership roles and create that path for women to come through but even if you're not confident even if you don't think that you have the skills still just be bold just step up and take a chance the only thing that can happen is someone can say no and, and one of the things I say for entrepreneurs is, you know, we should eat rejection for breakfast. We should get up every morning and eat a bowl of rejection because that's our world, right? And if and women, we get very sensitive about that. Don't be sensitive about it. Like just, just know that um, all of us who have made it into leadership roles have been rejected all the way through our careers. So this is we've got to be bold, step into it. We need you women to come forward and to really lead and to to found companies and to and to be really 
the pathway to an unbiased and, and ethical future. Thank you. That is that is quite the challenge. And I'm sure Esther, Phyllis, and you know, all the women watching are up to task. Uh, ladies, be bold, be courageous, stretch yourselves, just um, take on uh, the mantle from what you know Katriana has been doing. Um, sadly, uh, I think we have to come to an end. Time has really, really, really gone by. Um, so just as we conclude, I would like to remind people that, uh, as you can see on your screen, um, Phyllis, Esther, and I work for Impact Africa Network, which is a non-profit startup studio committed to changing the African narrative. And of course, we find that women are critically important in this mission. And you know, we are committed to providing women leadership opportunities in the startups that we develop. And I would like to urge everybody to support our work. Uh, and you can do that by joining our micro donations program for just as little as $30 a month. Uh, you can be part of this exciting movement working towards creating a new African future. So thank you so much for watching everybody. And you know, have a good day and good evening, depending on where you're watching us from.